I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> wow, how familiar that quote is to me, Gabe. Little Spider-Man quote. What are we doing today? Today, we're doing a podcast. It's our 98th episode. What a century it's been for our episodes. <laughs> today, today we're doing today we're doing another movie, The French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson joint. A little Wessy, Wessy, and and. And we have some esteemed company with us once again. Who is with us? Series irregular, I think, as you once put it. I think Full she's name, please. Allison <laughs> Rebecca Twitchell. Er, Twitchell. <laughs> Strike one. Try again. Allison Rebecca Burnett, which is go. my last name. Is your wife? So think of her as a Twitchell, I guess. <laughs> It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for being here. I feel like you're our most regular irregular. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on so frequently. I wouldn't have it any other way. This podcast needs a woman's touch. It does. It also, <laughs> I appreciate your perspective, always, as I'm constantly bouncing ideas off of you. And also, I love when we watch media together, we get to discuss it together. It's also nice to have, for me, someone else with a more literary background. Because Stephen can't read. It's <laughs> true. He is illiterate. As he's flipping through a book, Poor a thing. booklet as we speak. Yeah. So French Dispatch is the latest, the tenth film from Wes Anderson in a series of highly artistic films. Wes Anderson is known for his production design. Uh, he designs a lot of the actual sets, usually as a model, as well as some of the props that they use in the movie. And he's known for his iconic framing usually framing characters directly in the center. And then he's known for what's called the comedic reveal. So if you start a shot with a character in the center, he says something that you don't really understand what he's saying. The camera will tilt up or pan left or right and reveal the joke to you. And so he does that a lot. And it's a very quirky move that has sort of made him famous. He's obviously a lot more technically proficient than that because he can do other camera moves besides just quick reveals. But <clears throat> those are kind of his iconic staples that he's known for as far as filmmaking goes. He also is highly known for being, like I said, extremely artistic. And because of his artistry and his extreme perfectionism, he creates these movies that end up often feeling very much unlike any other movie you may have seen before. And that is part of the draw and the appeal for Wes Anderson, because his movies are very unique and often special, but they're also highly artistic or auteur, so much so that they have sort of rung the bell in Hollywood, and he's kind of known for being a very prolific and popular filmmaker as an artist rather than just a normal sort of filmmaker. And because of that, he often draws a lot of extreme talent because he has so many people chopping at the bit to be in one of his movies. He has these crazy large ensemble casts of very famous actors. And so on top of all of his technical proficiency, his filmmaking style and his artistry, he's also extremely known for his large ensemble cast of famous actors and actresses. Excellent. Excellent. I was just going to say, adding to that great synopsis of who Wes Anderson is, he also is perhaps one of the most literate directors I've ever watched. It's clear that his reading influences his writing and the way that he presents the film, specifically in this film we're going to be discussing. But yeah. in all of his films, he is very, very well read 
And oftentimes his films has a narrator. So the way you're viewing the film is often similar to how you might be reading a book in the sense of a book kind of evolving into a moving picture. That's kind of how his films feel because they're, yes, very artistic visually and interesting and engaging in that way, but also the dialogue is just as intricate. Yeah, that's true. You have anything to say? <laughs> I actually, I haven't really even registered that before that uh, usually the first thing people think of when it comes to Wes Anderson is the camera work. Mm -hmm. But you're right, the scripting and the dialogue is actually just as homogenous, you could say. Mm -hmm. There's symmetry, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't really considered that before, but it's true. His style of writing is uh, one of the staples that Stephen would talk about. Yeah. So this specific movie... The French Dispatch. It's called The French Dispatch. It's pretty unlike any movie he's done before. He's made a couple short films that are also very good. Uh, Hotel Chevalier and... Is that the one with Natalie Portman? Yeah. And the other one is the Italian one with Jason Schwartzman. But this particular movie essentially is an anthology piece with three short stories or short films back to back to back. And as Ali was just alluding to, it is an homage to sort of the heyday of magazine or newspaper writing. And he based this movie off of The New Yorker, which was a very popular, especially coming out of the 1920s after a war and a pandemic. It was a very popular sort of gaiety and witty and satirical paper that kind of blew up kind of like a a booklet form of magazine slash newspaper. And the man in charge, his name was Harold Ross. And he was a lot like Bill Murray's character in this movie, just a very intelligent and interesting person who cared a lot, not just about the content that he was putting out, but also the team of people that he had around him. And he cared for them a lot. And as you saw in this movie, Bill Murray being the editor-in-chief of the French Dispatch, this little newspaper from Kansas that had its own sect in France, he refused to like cut anyone's piece because he cared about all of his writers very deeply. Anyway, this movie has an intro where it introduces a couple of the writers and Bill Murray's character... And then it goes into three short stories that make up the bulk of the film. And then it has a quick little ending at the end. And then it opens with his death, doesn't it? Yeah, it opens with his death, but then it goes back and then shows him alive. So, yeah, and then it ends with his death, essentially. Yeah, the movie is frequently time skipping around over the course of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I guess we can just jump into it from there. That's one of the things about his movies, but specifically this one, that make them a little bit difficult for me to enjoy. Because not only is he very verbose in his writing and his screenplay writing and the actual voiceover or narration that's occurring on the screen or the characters and their their quick banter, it's very Aaron Sorkin-like, it's very intelligent, it's very fast. But also what you are looking at visually is often overwhelming because of the production design, the uh, fantastical and superfluous production design. He has so many elements going on at all times, both visually and stylistically, and then audibly through the narration and whatever other thing he just decides to throw in. It often creates this kind of cacophony that makes it very difficult to absorb as an audience member. Yep. And I think he does that for a couple of reasons. The first one is that I think he cares more about the art, uh, much like David Lynch cares about, I mean, David Lynch views filmmaking as by definition, motion picture. He looks at film as painting on a canvas, but in a motion style form of like painting. 
And then you add sound in that, and that just creates even more tone. And I think Wes Anderson views it very similarly, just in a different way. And secondly, I think Wes Anderson uh, is always trying to get a point across. I think there's usually like a point or like a theme to his film. And I think the theme is driven home in the last couple lines of dialogue of this film about it's the one thing Jeffrey Wright said that he decided to omit because it was too sad for him to put into his article. And then Bill Murray says, well, that's the best thing about this article. And he's like, you should definitely not omit that. And it was about something about like going home or something like that, or home is where the heart is or something. But um, I can't remember because again, his movies are often a sensory overload. And I was very overloaded by this movie in particular. And it was a little bit, for me, a little bit less enjoyable than, say, the last movie that I enjoyed by him. Well, I actually really liked I Love Dogs, but Grand Budapest Hotel, which had sort of a linear story uh, of of two characters kind of trying to navigate uh, love life and the culture that they're in. But yeah, this movie was a little bit more difficult for me to support and get behind. And I've seen all of his films. I've seen all 10 pretty much in a row as they've been releasing. I've watched every single one. Growing up, I grew up with his earlier films. So like my dad's, one of his favorite films is Rushmore, which came out in like the late 90s. So I was introduced to his films pretty early on um, as a kid. And so they've always kind of held a close place to my heart in terms of them feeling like home for me. One thing though that is obvious is the way that his films have evolved over you know, the past couple decades from the more simplistic, I guess, visuals in like Bottle Rocket all the way now to the French Dispatch and how his every single shot has become more and more stylized as he has matured as a director. But it's really no small achievement that his personal aesthetic style has become so much a part of our culture, which I think is really important to note. Um, the fact that, you know, he's one person, his style, his his method of filmmaking, it's really become really wildly popular. And so that is something special, even if it's not for everyone. It's been something interesting for me to see as someone who grew up on some of the movies and then now seeing like how popular Wes Anderson is. But yeah, this film was definitely the most stylized and detail oriented I have seen. And it moves in such a fluidity like that it is hard to keep up with. But I think that's part of the pleasure, like that dizzying effect. I think there's something to be said about what he's doing there intentionally to us as an audience. Definitely different than Rushmore or Royal Tannenbaums. It is definitely, I think, the most Wes Anderson movie Wes Anderson has made. Yes. <laughs> the, the joke is that it's too, it's too Andersonian Anderson. for yeah. its own good. <laughs> That's how I felt about Nolan's Tenet as well. Sometimes a director, oftentimes later in their career, gets a little lost in the sauce, I think, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah, I feel similarly. I was, I was kind of <laughs> disoriented at the beginning of the film in the first 15, 20 minutes, and I had to look around to make sure I wasn't alone. <laughs> and I don't think so. But once it really got going to the first of the three vignettes with Benicio Del Toro and Lea Sidhu. Maybe my favorite vignette, by the way. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Then I started to really enjoy it. Uh, but it, was, it is very chaotic at the beginning. But I think, I think Ali's right. And there is there's some kind of, it's not really an ineffable quality because it is, his style is very... Affable? Uh, the manner in which people of basically all demographics will enjoy basically going to see this movie. You think um, so? I do. I think as far as movies go, while Wes Anderson joint 
as I will call it, is something that a pretty diverse crowd of people will all enjoy. And they might not love it, especially this one, which proves to be one of his more, I guess, polarizing pieces. Mm. But I think he can attract a pretty diverse crowd because they're very light movies. They're very fun mm. and palatable. They're entertaining. Yeah, they are. Regardless yeah. of the intellectualism. Like, There's a lot of adult content, though, as well. There is. There is. More so than, I think, any of his other movies. Specifically in this one, there was Quite a lot a bit of nudity. nudity. Which, I mean... I, it was very artful. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah. It was artfully done. It was both literally and figuratively artfully done. It's true. <laughs> um, but I wonder, actually, now that you know we're talking about it, if that fast-paced nature of it is part of what makes it alluring because everyone is kind of like a little bit lost mm. in the story, but mm. they're along for the ride because it's very dynamic and it's very... Beautiful. There's not a lot of people doing what Wes Anderson is doing at this level of the industry where he can just put his name on something and make a movie about pretty much whatever he wants at this point. So it is cool. I, for myself, have only seen, I think half of his movies and I not usually the more interesting half well I don't know I have seen Moonrise Kingdom which people say is not one of his better ones is literally I think almost at the bottom of my list. <laughs> I have seen Life Aquatic which I loved mm-hmm. and it's I've seen his idea. animated pictures which are very good as well have you seen Royal Tannenbaums I've not seen Royal okay, Tannenbaums my two favorite are Royal Tannenbaums and Rushmore yeah. I, so you should I, see those I know I believe minor bottle rocket and Rushmore I'm super curious about those early movies because it's always fun to me to observe a director in his early stages of his career when he doesn't have the budget that he has today. Yeah. I mean, this I think French Dispatch was only like $25 million, but still... Incredible. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was the reported budget, but... He did a great job for that budget. Yeah, absolutely. And But still, like as far as Wes Anderson is concerned, it's a much bigger and more bombastic movie than even his earlier stuff. But you can see him building his style over yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, Bottle Rocket, which is his first movie, it started off as a short film and then ended up becoming a feature. And it features both Owen, Luke, and Andrew Wilson. Andrew. All the Wilson brothers. So, But it stars Luke and Owen... And a third dude who actually his name escapes me, but it's very much Wes Anderson, but it also at the same time, you can tell that it's a lower budget. He really does a good job in that movie. And this is why it's my favorite of taking a setting that already exists in the world, something that's not a miniature or something that he created in his own mind. But taking something that already exists in this world and then making it beautiful rather than the other way around where he makes something beautiful and puts it into the real world. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like Bottle Rocket because I think much like Spielberg before he started having bigger budgets like Jaws and E.T. where he's using puppetry and stuff on a much smaller budget, Close Encounters even, those are always more interesting to me because they're kind of like trying to work within the borders, like within the boundaries of the confines of what it means to make like a motion picture with some rules rather than having no rules at all, which is, you know, what we have here. That's how it feels when you're watching it. It's just like overwhelming. Because there's like no rules to it. One thing I love, I think the biggest thing I took away from this movie in terms of it being from Wes Anderson was that it truly revealed his enthusiasms and preoccupations and inspirations. It's clearly what he is interested in, Mm -hmm. which I think is really courageous to make that type of film because 
it's very niche in terms of like it being his own inspirations and what he is, I guess, most inspired by. But at the same time, it appeals to everyone because it is so visually interesting. And so what I really liked about this film, even though I couldn't relate to every single thing he was trying to introduce or always keep up, like you want to be able to pause the frame and see like, what are the book titles on the left side of the screen? Yeah, even though I couldn't always keep up there was something very truthful about the way that he kind of made this film and that's something I appreciated. He yeah. did not hold back anything he wanted to put <laughs> into that film. Certainly not. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, as we've already said, it's very Wes Anderson. With all its highs and lows. Yeah. What do you guys think about the fact that he does use the same cast members so often? Because that makes it Wes Anderson too, right? Because you're used to seeing yeah. these Norton's specific, back. like, oh, it's Bill Murray. Oh, it's Owen Wilson. Yeah. Isn't it kind of a bold move? Because you look at all these different directors and a lot of times they go for like the next A-lister cast. Mm, I feel like a lot of directors find actors that they love working with and then they try to work with them as much as possible. Some directors like Quentin Tarantino, I think he has like this rule where he refuses to work with the same actor either two times in a row or he works with them two times and then moves on to someone else. Mm-hmm. But that's just like a thing that Quentin Tarantino would do. because What a like, quirky guy. Yeah, because that's, that's what he does. <laughs> but if you take Danny Vinu, for example, like he worked with Jake Gyllenhaal around the beginning of when he got popular on Prisoner's Enemy, and now he's working with him again on um, an upcoming project. I forget what it is. I think it's just about like the availability of the actor, the fact that these directors are comfortable with those actors, they enjoy working with them, and usually there's a mutual appreciation. Usually the actor will love the work of the director. I wouldn't be surprised if these individuals just really have fun being in these movies as much as people will typically enjoy watching them because they are very humorous and and cutesy. It feels like anyone would want to be in his film. Like if they were asked, they'd be like, yes. And it doesn't (laughs) seem to be a very drawn out process. Yeah. Yeah. I think they also, because he does such unique artistic films, they get to do things as actors that they wouldn't normally get to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a draw there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be curious on that note to know how strictly they adhere to the script or if Wes Anderson lets these guys just riff because the rest of his filmmaking seems so precisely choreographed that I'd be curious if he's very precious with his dialogue as well. But yeah, to go back to Ali's initial question, I, I like him using his ensemble. Like anytime a director has a muse, it's always fun to see. And it it just works, I think, so well with the rest of his catalog of very homogenous movies. It's a known quantity when you're going to a Wes Anderson, exactly what you're going to get with a small degree of variation. And that's fine. I think he does his style very well. And it's almost like an anthology series, right? Like we have a show like American Horror Story where they reuse a lot of the cast members over and over. Mm -hmm. And it's just fun to see them play different characters, but still the same company. Mm-hmm. Like a troupe of traveling actors. Mm-hmm. A troupe of traveling actors. Oh, that was an alliteration, yeah. I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. The cast was really good in this. We should say a lot of his common reoccurring. We had Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Saoirse Ronan. Oh, Saoirse. Saoirse Ronan. We had Tilda Swinton. She was so funny. Francis McDormand. Angelica Houston narrated part of it. Willem Dafoe. And then he had people that are also popular that you may have seen pop up here and there all the way down to Henry Winkler. But he had Christoph Waltz, Lee Schreiber, Ed Norton, Elizabeth Moss was in this one. And then some new faces as well. We had this cute little French 
actress girl named Lena Kudry. And I've never yeah, seen her before. She reminds me of someone. I can't think yeah, of she did. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, I think this is his first time being in a Wes Anderson film. He's in the new Dune movie, as well as a bunch of other popular movies. Benicio Del Toro is in this. One of the most prolific French actors who seems to pop up in everything. Matthew Almorak was in this. Uh, Leah Seydoux. Hello. Hello. Jeffrey Wright was in this as well. Yeah. Which I feel like he's been in everything recently as well. Curious casting that worked really well for me by the end of his vignette. And then the breakout actor, Tony Revolori from Grand Budapest Hotel and currently the Spider-Man films was also in this. Oh yeah, he's Buzz. What's his name? Not Buzz. <laughs> he's Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Flash. Nailed it. Yeah, he's Flash Thompson. But yeah, so that's French Dispatch. Uh, go check it out. I would say it's kind of a mixed bag as far as reviews go. But, you know, I think it's worth seeing because it is like Wes Anderson just being himself. Yeah, it's still fun. And it's fun. Yeah. I liked this quote from the New York Times, which was a more favorable review, unlike the LA Times. It said, a certain amount of delight you find in the French Dispatch may derive from your appreciation of the cultural moments and artifacts it evokes. Anderson expresses a fan zeal and a collector's greed for both canonical works and weird odds and ends, a love for old modernisms that is undogmatic and unsentimental. And then in a variety quote, it said, thus the unconventional project succeeds in delivering that very particular hodgepodge pleasure of reading a well-curated issue from cover to cover. I liked both of those. That's French Dispatch. Go see it while it's in the theater. It's very rare you get to see a Wes Anderson film in the theater. Uh, but here's a song by Alexandra Desplat. <laughs> 